This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Bill Hillgrove is our guest on Play-by-Play Cast, episode 9. Thanks for clicking download or subscribe, everybody. My name is Joel Godet. As always, appreciate your listenership. If you are new to Play-by-Play Cast, welcome. You can find all back episodes, all eight previous episodes, and episode zero, the About Me, uh, for free on iTunes or Stitcher, however you listen to your podcasts, if it's an Apple or non-Apple device. Uh, you can check out the archives, as always, uh, now or at the conclusion of the episode, whenever. Uh, you can find us on Twitter now as well. That's new this week. Launched that uh, Monday or Tuesday this week. You can find us at PXPCast, so you can interact with the show that way as well or still use the hashtag uh, PXPCast. But if you use at PXPCast, you can give us a follow uh, or say hey or block us or whatever have you. Uh, but that being said, let's dive right into today. Bill Hillgrove, very excited to have Bill on. He is a member of a fairly elite club, a very elite club, when it comes to broadcasting football. People that broadcast college football, you can always say you've got one of 128 jobs, Division One FBS football. If you do NFL games, you can say you have one of 32 NFL jobs across the country. Bill Hillgrove, however, is one of four people, I think, now that I've said a number, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but by my calculation, Bill Hillgrove is one of four people that can say both. Bill Hillgrove does the Pittsburgh Steelers, he also does the Pitt Panthers, Dan Horde in Cincinnati does the Bearcats and the Bengals, uh, Josh Lewin this year will do UCLA in addition to the Chargers, in addition to the Mets, and uh, Gene Deckerhoff down in Tampa Bay, uh, does the Buccaneers and also does Florida State. West Durham also used to be in that club, by the way, um, doing Georgia Tech and the Atlanta Falcons. Now, there's a bunch of other guys that do network stuff. You know, Dave Pash does network stuff. Bob Wachusen does network stuff, certainly, um, in, in college and then does the Jets. But those are the four guys, and if there's a fifth or sixth, don't shoot me, but I'm almost positive it's four. Those are the four guys that are the voice of both an NFL team and a Division I FBS collegiate football team. So Bill has uh, an interesting perspective and certainly an interesting schedule when football season rolls around in the fall. Uh, But he's also been doing it a very long time. So with that being said, we start where we have started so often with these interviews, Bill. Uh, Appreciate you being on. Uh, Let's dive into the start of your career Uh, It's been a very long and fruitful one, but uh, give us the Reader's Digest version of how Bill Hillgrove uh, got into broadcasting. Well, it was uh, unique to say the least. Uh, I was 13 years old, and my aunt was a member of the Sisters of Charity, and she had a friend in that order who ran the Pittsburgh Diocesan Radio and TV School. So this was 1953. I was 13, and... My dad was an electrician, so I showed up at this radio TV school 
fully prepared to learn how to fix radios and television. Well, the nun handed me a script, and I read it, and she said, that's perfect. That's exactly what I'm looking for. <laughs> I said, sister, what's that? She said, a 13-year-old brat. I said, sister, I don't need a script for that. You got the deal. <laughs> and, and I began doing a live radio, uh, you know, drama on a weekly or bi-weekly basis on uh, the FM station at Duquesne University and then two McKee sports stations. And at the age of 13, I found out that I had a gift for working this side of the microphone. So that's where it started. Did you want to be a, a sports guy? When did sports come into it? Because I know you, you did some DJing when you professionally got involved uh, in radio. When did it, the nugget get in your, your brain that I could do sports for a living? Well, I, I always wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. and I found out at a very early age around that time that I wasn't the best ball player in my neighborhood. How could I be one of the best to go make a living at it? And so I was able to combine that passion for sports with the broadcast talents, but that was going to take a while. Meantime, I was a student at Duquesne University. Uh, I volunteered on the FM station, WDUQ, to do anything and everything. You know, I hosted an opera show, a disc jockey show, uh, wrote news, delivered news, you know, produced programs, and, and kind of got a, an overall feel for the business. And uh, when I was a sophomore, I auditioned to take a part-time announcing job at WKJF-FM, which was 93.7. It's funny how things come full cycle. Yeah, right. Pit games are now on 93.7, <laughs> a whole different operation. So anyhow, I was hired in October of 59 to be a part-time announcer at WKJF, and that was the so-called good music station. I call it elevator music. But uh, while while there, and I was there part-time and full-time for seven and a half years, you know, I got a real feel for the business. And if you made mistakes, you heard from people. Uh, their audience was probably greater than DUQ's was as a student station. And, uh, you know, I got a good feel for music and also did news and PR and, you know, and that's when FM was really in its infancy. And uh, it, it, it was fun. And, you know, that's, but I still didn't get to do sports. So I, I had taken four auditions at WTAE TV. The fourth one was a color audition. And I think that's what they liked. I guess maybe the color of my eyes, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> they hired me as a staff announcer, April of 67. And I did. The, the booth announcing, which no longer exists, everything's recorded. But I did that for several months, and I get a call from the COO who said, well, the sister station uh, is going to change formats on the radio, and one of the radio guys wants to move back into television. Would you mind switching and going to, uh, to the radio side? I said, no, what, what's the deal? They said, well, it's a middle-of-the-road format. And you'll do the night show from 8 to midnight, and you'll go heavy on scores. And when I heard heavy on scores, I said, that's me. <laughs> I, that was my foot in the sports door. So I did the disc jockey thing for, oh, heck, about a year and a half. And the program director came to me and said, have you done play-by-play? -play? And I said, yes, when I was a student at Duquesne, I did 
a little bit of high school football and a lot of Duquesne basketball. He said, that's perfect. We're going to get the games away from another station that wants to be on the air full-time with basketball, which they hadn't been for 10 or 12 years. And you'll do the basketball, and you'll help Ed Conway, who will do the football. And uh, Ed, of course, was the TV anchor, and they didn't want him traveling all year round. So that's what happened. I uh, was in the booth with Ed for four years. Ed uh, passed away at a very young age. And after that happened in 74, they said, you're the play-by-play guy for both basketball and football. So that's where I got my sports hat back on again. And, oh, heck, it was four years later. No, not four years later. This is 74. The television was going through a bit of a staff change. And uh, next thing you know, the boss called me from television and said, you know, you're wearing two hats, sports and, and the disc jockey thing. It's time you took one of them off. And I said, well, I know which one I want to take off. <laughs> the disc jockey hat. And uh, I went with the TV full time at that point. So, uh, you know, it was kind of like there's no, I wouldn't suggest anybody to try to pattern what they do career-wise after what happened to me because, you know, it was too serendipitous. But uh, I had luck on my side. I was always seemingly at the right place at the right time. You know, when that all happens, are you thinking to yourself, and I read an article where you said it would be great to be the voice of Pitt for the next 20, 25 years, but are you thinking to yourself realistically that you know, at whatever age, I mean, less than 30, this is a destination job. I said that, yeah, uh, because I was happy. I was doing uh, nightly TV, and because of my sports uh, duties, they said, why don't you do the 6 o'clock, and then we'll take the 11 and give it to somebody else. And I, that was in 81. I said, that's great. That's not a bad and, deal. No, no, and, and it was a good living, and I got to do both both in the same building, so that wasn't an issue. And, uh, you know, it was all like that until my good friend Jack Fleming, who I, you know, got to know because we did pit West Virginia games together and commiserated about how passionate the fans are in a rivalry like that. This was his perspective, and mine was uh, the pit perspective, and we got to be friends. Anyhow, uh, he retired in after the 93 season, and... I never gave it a thought. I never applied for a job uh, out of respect to uh, Jack. I idolized Jack. I thought he was the greatest uh, play-by-play guy uh, around Pittsburgh that I had ever heard. Well, um, I guess it was April of 94. I get a call from our sales manager who said, Mr. Rooney keeps asking for your tape. <laughs> I said, what tape? He said, oh, he was using your bit tape to stack up against the other tapes coming in from all around the country. And the more he hears your tape, the more he likes your tape. And I'm going, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. I'm running for a job that I never, ever dreamed that I would go after and hadn't gone after. And then maybe two weeks later, Tom Donahoe, who was the general manager of the football team, called me and said, Billy, we had a meeting last night. Things are looking good for you. And then... One thing happened, and another thing happened, and the next thing you know, I'm meeting with Dan Rooney and Art Rooney II at the prestigious Duquesne Club with my radio boss and Joe Gordon, and we had lunch, and then they asked me a few questions. And uh, 
he turned to my radio boss and said, you can release it. We have a voice of the Steelers. And I went, wow. And uh, it, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks because I said, wow, that's, that's a greater responsibility and a bigger stage than I ever thought that I'd have the privilege to be on. But nonetheless, it was the opportunity to be a full-time play-by-play guy, and that's what I wanted. And, you know, since 94, that's what I've been. I don't want to jump the shark because I, I wanted to get to this, uh, and I, but I wanted to get to it later, but I'll get there now because we're here. But what is the what is the difference? What changed when you went from being the voice of the Pitt Panthers to, I mean, kind of the voice of, of Pittsburgh in some respects? Well, you know, the, the NFL stage is a bigger stage. Uh, in college football, how many Division One programs are there? 130-some? Yeah, 28. Uh, 30 some people, and then all of a sudden, uh, I'm one of 32. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, to hear the replays coming back on radio around the country, ESPN, satellite radio, and so forth, it's very, very satisfying. Uh, but that's when I realized, wow, this is a big stage. And, uh, you know, things have worked out really well. And one thing about the Rooney family, if you're doing a good job, don't expect a pat on the back. No news from the Rooney family is always good news. So you're, I mean, you're a Division One voice for 20 years, but still in awe of an NFL job, which which is really cool. Yeah, of course, because like I say, you you join a very select group of yeah. people, 30, and uh, I, you know, I I'm very proud of that, and uh, and another thing that I'm very proud of, and again, it's being at the right place at the right time. In 22 years, I've been privileged to do four Super Bowls. Now my record is two and two, and I'd like to improve that. <laughs> that's because not, that's Jack, not bad. Jack Fleming was four and zero, oh, and Cope was five and one. Cope was four and one. He didn't do. I mean, oh no, he did. Yeah, the one loss was '95. He didn't do the Detroit Super Bowl. He had just retired, and I remember uh, we're in the booth before Super Bowl Forty, when the Steelers and the Seahawks were doing battle at Ford Field. And Trunch and Wolf, before he went down to the sideline, said, let's call Myron. So we called Myron, and he talked to each of us. And then Trunch said, well, Myron, this is my first Super Bowl broadcast. Do you have any any uh, you know wisdom that you want to impart? And Cope said, yeah, don't say nothing stupid. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we had a laugh over that. But, you know, it's it's been a great ride. And like I say, with this team, maybe I have a chance to do a couple more. What would you idolize about Jack? Uh, colorful uh, language. Uh, he, you know, he had great descriptive powers and also could review a play right after it happened and, and do a very nice job of description. And, uh, you know, he, he was darn good. And he was a darn good basketball man. The Bulls loved him. They had him for several years, but then he came back to Pittsburgh to take a TV job, which probably for Jack was a mistake uh, on his career path because TV just didn't work out. Uh, and As a result, uh, he gave up the Bulls and then went back to West Virginia full-time basketball and football. How did... Did that factor... I mean, obviously I, I would imagine it factored in, but, but what else factored into how you built yourself as a play-by-play guy when you took a step back and said this is 
the approach I want to bring, and this is how I want to paint myself uh, when I go into this field, um, take me back to 20-something-year-old Bill Hillgrove and, and what you were thinking as you were kind of on your way up. Well, I, I always admired guys who were accurate, uh, guys uh, who, you know, described exactly what they saw. Uh, and my idol at the time, before I even knew about Jack Fleming, was Ray Scott. I thought he was the best sports play-by-play guy I had ever heard. And he was doing the Green Bay Packers radio back in the day after he left Pittsburgh. And he had met a fella at the Channel 2 on the sales staff, Bill Kelly, and he knew Bill was interested in football and was a big hit guy. And he said, I need a spotter. Would you like to you know, travel with us and do the Green Bay Packers games? And Kelly jumped at it. Well, as fate would have it, uh, when we took on fifth football in 1970, Kelly was a member of TAE's sales staff, and they made him the producer. And so I watched how he worked with Ed Conway and sold him on Ray's system. Uh, Ed never always uh, went that way, but I did. And the system is very simple. Two spotters. One watches each team. There's so much going on uh, on a football uh, field and also on the sidelines that one spotter can't watch it all. And that was the lesson that Ray through Bill Kelly had given me. And uh, one of my prized possessions is a two-page letter that I got from Ray Scott when I was appointed voice of Steelers. It's a treasure. Do you have any tricks uh, that help in that regard? As, I mean, I well, was, even if you're down a spotter or whatnot. But. Yeah, Joel, it's nonverbal communication. I always have uh, the home team to my left. Not the home team for that game. I'm talking about Pitt and the Steelers guy sits to my left, and the opposing team sits to my right. So that you know that right away, I I keep it separate. And uh, you know who has the ball? Just reaffirm if I don't see it. I see the finger on the guy's name, and I have a, a big chart at 17 by 11. I used to do it by hand, but now I've got it on the computer, and uh, it uh, it works. It's a system that works. It's a 3D. So. Like when the Steelers are in camp next week and I start working on the 3D, Marquis Pouncey will be the center again, not Cody Wallace like last year. And then Cody Wallace will likely be the backup. And I'll put a third guy in there depending on what I see at camp in the same way across the line. And tight end is up into my right. Uh, the flanker is like a wing back on that chart. And then, of course, fullback, halfback, and the other receiver. So it's a system that works. But, you know, I, I get help. I, I get identification. Who has the ball? Sometimes who made the block? You know, they'll, they'll uh, slam their uh, fist into their palm. He, he made the block. And, of course, who made the tackle? It's 22 people colliding, Joel. <laughs> and you hear so many times uh, a coach say when they ask him about a certain play, well, you got to remember, I, I don't have a real good view of it. I'm going to have to look at the video. Yeah. And that really speaks of football. It's it's eleven bodies against eleven bodies, and for one person to see all of that is it possible? What came the toughest for you? Um, the the one thing that was just a thorn in your side that that took a while to get used to, or to to get the way that you wanted it. Oh gosh, I, you know I, I I've had to adjust to a lot of different uh, partners, uh, and I you know really enjoyed the eleven years that Myron and I did together in the Steelers booth, and I miss him every day. 
But a lot of people don't know and don't remember that uh, I had a 12th year with Myron. Uh, in 1983, Johnny Sauer had heart problems. The doctors wouldn't clear him. We find this out less than a month before the season. So the radio boss, Ted Atkins, called Myron in and said, Myron, uh, we need your help. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, Hillgrove needs a partner. Doctors won't clear a sour. And Myron said, wait a minute. I do morning commentaries, afternoon commentaries, television commentaries. <laughs> the talk show, the Steelers, I have a full plate. And the boss said, yeah, and your contract is up in January. He says, I'm all ears. <laughs> and so we did the 83 season together. And, you know, that was almost like a uh, premonition uh, of what was to come later when he became my partner for 11 years in the Steelers booth. Uh, you know, the, adjusting to different partners is an unfortunate part of the business. Like, for instance, uh, this year, uh, the athletic director, Pitt Scott Barnes, said to Pat Bostic, whose aspirations are to be a, an AD someday, he said, hey, concentrate on being an AD. That broadcasting thing for you is only a distraction. And so we had to make another change. And after five years, Bostic's going to step aside and Billy Osborne's going to come back. Billy and I did both nine years together. And then Bill Fraley came in for seven, Bostic for five, and now I've got Ozzy. But it won't be an adjustment. That's like riding a bicycle. We already have our own chemistry, and I know exactly what it is. How do you break in new partners or work with new people? Or I mean, if somebody's listening to this and they do stuff that is more networkish, where you're working with different people all the time. Uh, that being said, what are the what are kind of the tricks of the trade? If you're working with somebody new or breaking somebody in to, to get on the same page as quickly as possible. The only way to do it is do it. Uh, you can't talk about it and solve any problems. Uh, you can't talk about it and uh, develop chemistry. It develops itself through doing it. And, you know, one partner gets used to the other's uh, language pattern, uh, you know, how quickly or how slowly they do something. And, and you just make that adjustment. And after a while, it's like, as Johnny Sarah used to say, falling off a lot. Do you still listen back uh, to, to stuff even now? Oh, yeah. And, of course, with the Steelers, I hear those plays coming back on the local station. True. On ESPN, on uh, NFL radio. So I hear a lot of that. But I don't make it too much of a point uh, to, uh, you know, go back and listen to entire games. Again, uh, because of uh, the Internet, it fits website, I can pull up anything I want. Uh, you know, because they, they archive everything. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a good thing to do a check on yourself every once in a while. If you do that, what are you listening for? What what are your things that you're saying, all right, one, two, three, I want to make sure I did these things even today? When the crowd roars, you better have something to say. Because on radio, it's deadly if you don't. Television, people see it, so they're not as concerned about the crowd. But on radio, where their ears are tuned into everything, uh, they depend on, okay, that crowd roared, what happened? You better say it quickly. And that is, to me, uh, the biggest challenge. The difference between, I, I had down, I, I wanted, and, and we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier when we talked about Jack, but um, I had written down what makes the best guys at this really great at what they do. But I'm almost even more curious if we do, what's the difference, in your opinion, between a good broadcaster and a great play-by-play broadcaster? I think, you know, style, you know, all of a sudden will have to be a part of the discussion. Uh, but again, I'm 
you know, I'm a big bug on accuracy. Uh, that crowd word, what happened? And, and say it as succinctly as you possibly can and let people know what is going on. And also, I think with football, and I work at this, and, and I think it's, you know, it, it, it pays dividends. Uh, the pre-play description of the formations, uh, I think, is important. Uh, and it heightens the, the listener's interest in the game. Oh, wait a minute. They've got a tight end right. They're strong right. Uh, and the other team is showing blitz, you know, that type of thing. And, uh, again, I get help from the spotters who give me uh, nickel, dime with hand signals and because I can't sit there and count all those people. And, and so we have hand signals to uh, help me get through that before the ball is snapped. You mentioned style, though, too. Uh, describe, I mean, describe your kind of style for me. When you, when you walk into that booth, what's, what's a Bill Hillgrove style? I, I, I was once complimented by uh, one of the local writers who said, Billy, he said, I'm a Penn State graduate. He said, and I've heard you do good Penn State games. And you get almost as excited for a Penn State big play as you do for a pit play. And I think that's admirable. And I said, well, hey, there are two teams playing. And uh, you, you've got to, you know, you've got to describe it as it is. And you, if somebody, if the other team makes a heck of a play, you have to be excited about it. And so, you know, I, I don't really think about it. When I walk into that booth on game day, I, I hope all the work is done because the work doesn't do itself. And if the preparation is complete, or as John Majors would say, the haze in the barn, uh, I can relax and just jump on the magic carpet and let the game take me for a ride. How much of that is vocal work, too? And I, I've, I've, It's been interesting for me on some of these podcasts talking to people about what they do uh, vocally and what they do with their voice and how they, how they have gotten their voice, so to speak. Um, and then it was interesting when I saw that your wife was a, a vocal music teacher as well. So I was curious um, how you've played with voice and how that's factored into to the broadcaster you've become uh, over the years, or if that's just one of those things that kind of developed on its own. Well, you know, the human voice uh, is pretty basic, whether it's uh, talking or singing. It's still the same action. And you got to do it with support. It can't come from the throat. It's got to come from down in the diaphragm. And my wife and I discuss breathing. And we, you know, we know that solid breathing will uh, help the instrument and help it be healthy. And that's what I do. And try not to, try not to, uh, uh, you know, scream. Because screaming doesn't do anybody any good. Plus, on the radio, it's unbearable to listen to. <laughs> Did it take a while to figure that, to kind of find that place, to find your the the right spot on that kind of vocal chain where you needed to be? Yeah, Joe, I remember losing my voice. I think we played Temple in 1974, and I was out of gas. I, You know, I didn't have much sound coming out when I opened my mouth. And it was because I had overdone it on a previous game. Uh, and I've learned to be good to it ever since, and it's almost like, you know, an arm. That's why teams warm up before the game. Get those muscles into a state where they can perform the way you want them to do, and you can put maximum stress on a muscle that's limbered up and ready to go. And I think uh, it's the same thing with the voice. Do you warm up? Uh, a little bit in the car, just, you know, saying some things or using the voice. And, and after a few words, you say, okay, I'm, I'm ready to go. You know, and, and 
it's 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 almost something you don't think about. It just happens. Um, you had mentioned your prep, and I wanted to get into that a little bit as well, uh, if that's okay. Um, especially with what you do and the amount of football that you do, and then certainly when all three sports start overlapping, um, how much prep do you put in, and, and how do you do it in an efficient manner so that you're not killing yourself, but at the same time you're getting what you need out of it, and you're keeping it straight? I've always been blessed with tunnel vision and the ability to look at the near-term goal and not worry about, if I sat down to do a Steelers game and said, you know, I'll be talking for the next three and a half hours and talking loud a lot of the time, you'd bog yourself down with that kind of thought. And, and so, therefore, I just look at the next, the next focus that I have to develop. Is it a play? Uh, is it uh, a series? You know, I just... And, and in the same way with the game prep, you know, I've got to do the work, and I know it. Generally speaking, a football game is probably 12 to 14 hours of preparation because of the number of people involved. Basketball is maybe four, five, six hours, depending on whether it's the first or second time you've played that team that year. Uh, and But I've always been blessed with that short-term focus. And if I get into that busy part of November where I get all three balls in the air, uh, you know, I have the ability just to concentrate on the next most important thing. What do you watch in practice? Like when you go to a practice, particularly football, what's most important for you to take away from that? Well, who's who's running with the first team and who's running with the second team is a, a good starter. But for me, uh, it, it's really helpful to watch how they move because you can't always see a number, and you can't always, you know, see uh, who's hurt because there are people around them. Uh, but, you know, see, seeing how people move, that, that helps me quite a bit. Are you I, able- can tell, I can tell the difference between Le'Veon Bell and D'Angelo Williams just by the way they run. And so that helps me quite a bit. When you talk about matchups, how much of that, uh, you know, when you, you, I, I was thinking of it in a, a little bit of a different sense also, but when you build a broadcast from the beginning, when you sit down and say, uh, do you take time to think about where you want kind of the story arc to go? And then certainly the game will dictate it, but you go into something saying these are the important matchups and I want to make sure that we can carry this throughout the broadcast if it so applies so that at the end of the day, you've told some sort of four hour story that is coherent where, you know, the game carries it, but at the same time, you didn't feel like you were just throwing out information, you felt like everything was uh, purposeful and tied together, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's more of what the color man does or the sideline guy. Uh, I think, you know, they're more concerned about those matchups, and they have time to look at them. I've got to follow the ball, so I'm not going to see all the matchups that are making the difference in the football game. And, you know, I've got to tell you where the ball is, what the score is, how much time is left, who had the ball, who's leading, you know, all those nuts and bolts things, that's what I have to worry about. Now, uh, I think something I that maybe a lot of play-by-play guys don't, I keep my own play-by-play. So if the team scores, I can go back and tell you how far they drove the ball, how many passes against how many runs, what were the big plays in the drive or the big penalties, and I have that all right in front of me. And that really helps. And with Pitt, uh, I recap the game with plays, live play, you know, replays, uh, 
Steelers, I don't, but I still keep it because it keeps my head in the game. Because, you know, you can talk about uh, big plays, pass on the sideline, run up the middle, da-da-da-da-da-da, and when the score happens, you got to be able to look back and say, well, this is how they did it. And, and a play-by-play guy has to do that as well. So that's why I keep that log. How do you manage that? Is that while your analyst is talking, you're jotting that down? Yes. Most of the time, that is the case. And as a result, I probably give analysts a little more time than most guys, but that's okay. It works for me. Um, from a non-broadcast standpoint, uh, I thought it was interesting, too. I found a bunch of the articles that talked about your, your affinity for jazz music. Um, and I'm curious how that applies just from the standpoint of being kind of worldly, so to speak. Uh, is there a benefit to having interests outside sports that can then rear their head on a actual broadcast as far as just being able to bring in, I don't know, be it levity or, or some sort of reference to something else or just a way to draw a comparison that is different than just the nuts and bolts of the, the repetitive nature of what you see when you watch a game? Yeah, I think it's therapeutical. I really believe that, at least in my case. I don't know if it would work for everybody. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I enjoy sports. I have a passion for sports. Uh, but it's not my whole life, and nor should it be. Who does great play-by-play, in your opinion? Uh, on television, I think Tariko's the best. Uh, I think Al Michaels is terrific. Uh, I, I really, on radio, Kevin Harlan, I think, does a terrific job. Uh, you know, there are so many good ones on radio, but I don't get to hear them because we're playing against their team. <laughs> True. But, but uh, yeah, I think Tariko is the best all-around guy on television today. And on top of that, he's a really good, decent human being. He, he's not carried away with himself. What's the undervalued thing that those guys do on on air in particular, is there something that and we, I know we've talked about accuracy and, and things of that nature, but is there something that that goes unnoticed to the average fan that that the best of the best do? Yeah, I, I think what they do is they put the viewer at ease. Uh, hey, you know, we're not here uh, to do a, a lecture. We are here to talk about a football game or a golf match, and and I think. You know, again, that's why I think Dorico is the best because he puts you at ease. What's the one thing? I guess that being said, because I, I I've always people have told me, especially when I was you know just starting out in this, when you're still 21, 22, you know, they'll talk about ease of listenership. Um, what's the thing that that is maybe a, a pet peeve of of younger broadcasters as they try to make their way? Uh, that that you know, obviously we could all use more time in score and certain things of that nature, uh, but maybe the under-the-radar thing about younger broadcasters that, that is easier for, for us to focus on to continue to get better? I think the biggest mistake that young broadcasters can make is to imitate other broadcasters that they admire and respect. Certainly, you borrow techniques and you borrow certain things and phrases, but I think you have to be yourself. And that's the advice that I always give young broadcasters. You're different than me. So don't try to be me. And, and I think, you know, that to me it's worked for me, so it should work for young people as well. Be yourself. Is there a secret to uh, getting to the kind of NFL level? Is there 
Is there something about NFL broadcasters that people should strive for in that? My only comment to that, Joel, would be you got to do it. you just got to do it and do it, and hopefully most of it is attractive enough to somebody who can hire you at the next level, and that's exactly what happened to me. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard to formulate uh, something like that. Bill, uh, where can people find you? Um, I mean, obviously, 93.7 to, to start with, but uh, where, where else can they find you or hear you or uh, follow your work? Well, on 93.7 is Pitt Football and Basketball, 102.5 and 970 are the Pittsburgh uh, flagship uh, Steeler broadcasts. And then uh, I do a weekly jazz show, uh, which had been on the Internet for several years, and now it's on uh, WZUM 88.1 FM and uh, 1550 AM. And hopefully we get a, an FM repeater. And we're, uh, we've been approved for it. We raised enough money because we are a non-profit 501c3. Uh, we'll be on FM covering the Pittsburgh market 101.1, uh, hopefully by September. Uh, and uh, I do it from home. It's a six-hour show, oh, wow. but they, re- they repeat it three, three times. But it doesn't take me six hours to do it. Uh, maybe to prepare for it, but to do it, it takes a couple of hours uh, because of the magic of the Internet. Bill, thank you so much for, for doing this. I got one more question before I let you go, though, um, because we are recording this the day after uh, the Untouchables basketball team knocked off Bayheim's Army in the uh, that $2 million basketball tournament. Um, and I just yeah. want, I, I just want to know, because I'm a Syracuse grad, uh, will LeVance Fields ever lose a game to Syracuse? For the love of God. <laughs> <laughs> he is. I tell you what, there, there's a guy with a heart as big as his body. And I think that's his secret. When, when it comes to crunch time, LeVance wants the basketball. I didn't notice who the team was. And then I see LeVance Fields on the court. I go, oh, this isn't going to end well. <laughs> oh, isn't that amazing? Well, I'm sure Mike Krzyzewski feels the same way. Yeah, well, yeah, touche. Touche. He made the shot at the garden that sent Duke down. And now, for whatever reason, Mike doesn't want to play fit at the garden anymore. <laughs> ah, that dastardly LeVance Fields. Every time. Just let Syracuse win a game. Anyway, that was Bill Hillgrove. Guy keeps his own play-by-play, by the way. Keeps it himself. I don't have enough time to figure out all the stuff that I've got to figure out, let alone keep my own play-by-play. If you'd like to catch Bill, Pitt Panthers season just around the corner. Same can be said for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers Radio Network flagship, if you want to look it up online or if you live in the western Pennsylvania area, uh, 102.5 on the FM dial and then 93.7 for the Pitt Panthers. Uh, That's the fan based out of Pittsburgh as well. Uh, Many thanks to Bill for joining us here. Uh, You know, as we barrel toward football season, always great to pick the minds of Bob Sosi we had on last week, Bill Hillgrove this week. We've got some more football guys coming up over the next couple of weeks. Uh, it's been awesome for me. Uh, hopefully it's been great for you as well uh, to get your mind right and uh, get yourself prepped and primed and ready for football season. That being said, I'm sitting here watching the Olympics as well, uh, as everybody in America, I feel like, has been doing in some way, shape, or form over the last couple of days. Um, Want to get some Olympic guys on here once they get back from Rio. So we'll see who and what we can get on, uh, who and what sports we can get on here. But 
that might be cool. I'm kind of curious to pick some brains about uh, different ways you call different Olympic sports. We had Mark Zumoff on uh, before he went to Rio. He's doing women's basketball a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but I'm curious, some of the more offbeat stuff, see who we uh, can't convince to come spend some time with us. Uh, and I don't mean offbeat, but Olympic sports. In college athletics, they call them the Olympic sports. Uh, yes, the Olympic sports, your gymnastics, your volleyballs, all that kind of stuff. Uh, be interesting to pick some brains. So we'll see what uh, we can uh, come up with here over the next couple of weeks of play-by-play cast. In the meantime, more football coming your way as we barrel toward the start of both the collegiate and NFL seasons. If you download or subscribe to the podcast, uh, thank you as well. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, uh, you can just hit that button on iTunes. would be awesome. Do us a favor. Help us out. Uh, let iTunes know that uh, you listen to us and you like us. And then, hey, give us a follow on social media. You can find us on Twitter at PXPCast. In the meantime, they're playing the music, so i got to get on out of here. Thanks again to Bill Hillgrove uh, for joining us. Uh, immensely, immensely uh, thankful that he took the time uh, in a really busy season for him as, as fall camp gears up to, uh, to share some knowledge. Until next week, we say so long here on Play by Playcast. See you. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.